was trying to do what's right. As I, as I got saved when I was 19 years old, the first year of my life as a, as a baby Christian was rough, really rough. And if it wasn't for their mercy and their grace and loving me through that first year of transition, as I learned to walk with the Lord, I wouldn't have made it. So I praise God for your pastor and his wife every day. <laughs> we love Brian and Amy Hedges. Um, in fact, I wouldn't have made it to Romania on my first mission trip if they wouldn't have paid half the way for my for me to be there. I didn't have enough money to go, and they paid my way. So <laughs> I praise God for that, too, because on that trip, I met my future wife, Camelia, as a Romanian citizen. She was my translator. So that I always like to tell that story because it's a big part of who I am now. Um, but I don't want to talk too much about what we're doing in Romania because there's, if you can smell in the air the, the smell of tacos... There's a little get-together after the service where we're going to talk more about what we're doing in Romania and, and the other missionaries where you guys can pray and support your missionaries uh, afterwards. But I do want to talk a little bit about what we're doing. We are your ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ in Romania, uh, but we're your, we're your representatives in Romania. So we are in Romania for you guys. You guys can't all be there, but we can be there for you. So we're there to represent you guys in Romania. And what we're doing over there, we're church planters. In fact, 11 years ago, we left to be missionaries. We were there 20 years ago, the first time. We were there for two and a half years. Ago, two and, a half years and we, I was a youth pastor there, uh, working in a, in a church in the big city of Brasov. Uh, now, that was a city of a half a million people. And uh, now we're back. We went there 11 years ago. We're working in a city of 21,000 people where there's no church. There's a church now. We planted a church 11 years ago, or eight years ago now. Uh, when we first started to plant the church there, it was just my wife and I and our three daughters. And I called up Brian because he discipled me. He's still my discipler. It's a lifelong process. <laughs> he's still work, He's still investing in me. I still call him for advice. I still call him to mentor me. I said, Brian, I don't know how to plant a church from scratch. I, I've seen churches planted all around the world, all around the cities and in Kansas City and things. And most of the churches I've seen planted we're planted by groups of people, transplanted, and they just started a church that way. How do you start a church from scratch? And, and he gave me some advice, and we used that advice to plant our church in Brasho, in Rishnov. Our city is called Rishnov. Um, I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But um, we started with just our family, and now we are running about 40 people, and we're meeting in our living room. So we're at capacity. We have no more room to grow. Uh, we, we're going to have to go to a second service, I think. <laughs> no. My wife says no. Uh, we, we can't fit any more people in our house. We're, we're, as, as much of, we're as big as we can get in our house. But we've also run into a cultural issue, and that is people don't really like to come to a church that's in a house. It's just weird. It's kind of weird here, too. But it's, it's really weird over there. It's seen as cult-like. And so we found that we need a tool, and that's a building. And so we're praying that God will provide us a building. We've raised quite a bit of money now. We're still looking to raise some more money to, and, uh, to build a building or to buy a building and remodel it. Um, so that's where we're at as far as ministry goes, trying to reach the, the city of Rishno for Christ. Uh, it's 21,000 people. We've got 40. It's a pretty good start. Uh, we've got a big vision. We want to make a church that's reaching the world with the gospel. I want to send missionaries out of our little town of Rishno. Um, so that's where we're at. As we're doing this, making disciples, reaching people for Christ, we're doing evangelism, we're doing outreach, we're doing street evangelism, we're doing an annual Easter egg hunt in our town where 400 kids show up and their parents to see the 
to, to hear the gospel presented during this annual Easter egg hunt, um, doing all kinds of outreach. In the middle of all this, a war breaks out in Ukraine right next door to us last year. Didn't anticipate that happening. And so now we have an influx of refugees coming. Over 2 million refugees came into our country last year. Um, so in the middle of all that, we're hosting refugees in our house. So the war broke out. I had to take a trip uh, to the border, drove in the middle of the night. I, I won't tell all the stories now, but picked up refugees, brought them to our house, housed them in our house. Uh, in addition to that, right where the war is happening, the, the heaviest fighting part of the war in the Donetsk Republic, uh, there's several Baptist churches there. And our church that, we, that I was a pastor at 20 years ago, one of the students in, my, in the seminary where I taught is now the missions pastor at that church. He has been, before the war broke out, he was going to those churches and ministering there. Those churches are gone now, destroyed. The war took them out. The families in those churches now have no homes. So those Christians, what do they do? They came to our church. They came to our churches in Romania. And we housed them and we put them in a camp, a Christian camp nearby our, in our town in Rishnov. And for the last several months, we've been feeding them with donations from the churches here in America. We're, we're taking groceries to them. Uh, we got our, our little church of 40 people go to the grocery store, we load up our car full of groceries, and we take groceries to this camp to feed the Christians. And there's some non-Christians there as well, but we're taking care of uh, the brethren uh, because of Christians here are donating money. So that's, it's been a real shift in ministry. We've, we've, it's not just humanitarian, but it's also taking care of the brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering because of war. Um, now, what happened was about a month before we came back, we came back on July 28th, about a month before we came back, the, the war shifted. So the, the Russians left Ukraine, uh, the, the western part of Ukraine and went back towards the east and concentrated the war there. And so it became more peaceful in the western part of the country. And a lot of the, the refugees, most of the refugees were women and children because the men can't leave the country. And so a lot of these women and children, most of them Christians, returned back to Ukraine, but just over the border. And they're staying in Baptist churches where the Baptist churches are now housing them, Ukrainian Baptist churches. A lot of these Baptist churches, by the way, are Romanian-speaking Baptist churches, which is convenient for me and my wife and those of us who are Romanian-speaking. So now, going forward, what we're praying about and what we're planning to do, actually actually making logistical plans to go back, when we go back in September, we're going back and driving into Ukraine, taking more supplies to these churches to help them take care of the Christians there. And then the churches that are in Ukraine are supplying other churches and other Christians in the villages outside of those areas. So we need your prayers, uh, not only for our ministry to our specific town of Rishnov, where we're trying to reach people for Christ and send missionaries in all the world, but also to take care of the refugees and take care of the churches that are suffering under a, a specific harsh war condition. So pray for us in that area. Um, you want to hear more about all this? i got lots of stories. Come get some tacos afterwards. <laughs> so um, lots, of, lots of stuff going on I'd love to share with you, but I want to preach to you. I want to share the word of God with you today. So what I would like you to do is open the book to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. Uh, God began to put this message on my heart uh, actually uh, probably a year ago. Uh, as, I, as I open this, in my church in Rishnov, we go verse by verse, expository preaching. We went through the whole book of Acts. And literally, when I, when I preached this message, God put your church on my heart more than a year ago. Uh, and so th- I've kept this message kind of simmering for a while. 
and I got this opportunity to preach. I didn't know I was going to have this opportunity. Brian said, hey, here's the day you're going to preach, and it worked out perfect, so here it is. I get a chance to share it with you. So this, this message has been simmering for a while, and, and I'm excited to share it with you. So let's look at Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quarterians uh, of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. I thank you so much for the opportunity to share the word of God today. I ask that you just be with us here today, that the Holy Spirit of God would be with me and give me the words to speak. I pray the Holy Spirit of God would be here with the people and just open their hearts to understand the word of God. The Holy Spirit of God would teach us the word of God today, Lord, that you just get me out of the way, get my pronunciation out of the way, give me the words to speak in English, and uh, just give us the words to Change our lives, Father, that we'd be great followers of you, that we'd do everything you'd have us to do in your life, in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, contextually, what's going on here, This, I, what, I read these, this passage to you because I, I just want to give you the context of the story. We're actually going to read further into this, this story today. But I want to give you the context of what's going on here. We've got Herod, the king, stretching forth his hands, vexing the church, tormenting, persecuting the church. The book, the book of Acts, we know contextually, is a transitional book. Probably you've had this all laid out for you before. I'm not teaching you anything new, I don't think. But in the book of Acts, we've got, we're going from a Jewish focus to a Gentile focus. We're going from a, a temple focus to the church focus. We're going for, from, we've got, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we've got, we're focusing on Peter, and now we're getting ready to shift to the focus of Paul's ministry. And... Here, we've got Peter has just witnessed James, a friend of his in ministry for years and years, has just been killed. And Herod is now seeing that it's pleased the Jews as he kills James. The crowds are, the crowds are cheering. The Jews are happy. And he's like, hey, this pleased everybody. I think I'm going to do some more of this stuff. And he, ca- he captures Peter. And he's going to kill him. He takes him and he puts him in prison. And I'm sorry I couldn't say that word very well, but it means 16 soldiers. What it says in English, <laughs> in our vernacular today, he took 16 soldiers to keep him in prison. And after Easter, he's going to bring him forth to the people and kill him. And then in verse 5, we see that prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Um. Peter's now sitting in prison, knowing that his friend has just been killed. But this is nothing new for Peter, is it? If you look back in the book of Acts, you see in chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, Peter has, has been in prison before. And I'm sorry, these are brand new glasses. I'm not used to them. So I, if, I, if I act kind of weird with my glasses, because I'm not used to how these work yet. So <laughs> I had some last year I was here, and I hugged somebody, and they got squished. So I've got to get used to these. But Acts chapter 4, 
Peter's been in prison a few times. Acts chapter 4, verse 3, uh, we see that they laid hands on him and put him in the hold, and the next day, for it was uh, unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, the number of the men was about 5,000. So Peter is now in prison, and if you jump down to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So Peter's in prison. The men that put him in prison are marveling because he's an unlearned and ignorant man, man, but they marveled because he'd been with Jesus. That was the miraculous thing about Peter is that he'd been with Jesus. Verse 16, where they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with this guy who's been in prison. And they say, what shall we do with these men for that indeed a notable miracle has been done by him, by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them that they speak, uh, that they not to speak at all or nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. For when they had heard, further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing that they shall, how, how they might punish them, because of the people, for all the men glorified God for that which was done. So Peter's been let out of prison and told not to preach in Jesus' name. So he's been miraculously delivered out of prison. He's been in prison once. He got to get let out and been commanded not to preach in Jesus' name. But what does he do? He goes ahead and does it again anyway. So he's used to just doing what Jesus tells him to do, doesn't care what's going to happen. Jesus is going to take care of him. If you look over in chapter 5, the same thing. He gets put in prison again. Chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Verse 18. And they laid their hands upon the apostles and put them in the common prison. So he's back in prison, second time. But the angel of the Lord, by night, opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go and stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So Peter, miraculously delivered again, this time by an angel, gets out of prison, and the angel tells him, Go stand in the temple, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So what's the angel tell him to do? I'm getting you out of prison. Go speak the words of life. Go preach. He didn't get him out of prison, so he'd go back to his old life of fishing. He got him out of prison for what? Preach the word. So Peter's used to being in prison. He's used to getting delivered. And then if you go on and read the rest of the story, you see that he ends up getting beaten and told not to preach again. So same old story. So our context is Peter's a guy. He's used to getting put in prison, used to getting beaten. Why is this time different? Or is this time different, I should ask? I got another problem preaching in front of you guys that I'm not used to. My church is a church of 40 people, so it's just this little section right here. <clears throat> it's in my living room, and we sit in a circle around. We just, we're all nice and full because we just got through eating together, and everybody talks to me. So I'm used to asking questions, and everybody talks to me. So I've got to get used to this too. 
It's been a while since I preached from a pulpit, so forgive me for my little quirks. <laughs> and I used, I'm used to preaching in Romanian, so that's another quirk. I'm not used to speaking English. So Peter has been, he's in prison now in our story here, back in, in my text, Acts chapter 12. In our text, Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but prayer was made, made without ceasing for the church unto God for him. Is this time different? I think it is. Because he's got his best friend, one of his best friends. I don't know if they were friends. I think they were. They've been ministering together with Jesus for years. They've seen him crucified and risen from the dead. God's knit their hearts together. James, one of the sons of thunder, one of the guys who wanted to sit at the right hand of Jesus has just been killed. I think that affected him. I know it would affect me if one of my brothers in Christ had been killed. Martyred for the faith. Another thing that happened is just a couple chapters earlier, just briefly before this happened, they had just ordained some deacons. And if you remember the qualifications of the deacons, these guys had to be faithful men. And they had ordained these men to do what? To serve tables to take care of widows. But what did these men do? They preached the word. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what was the calling, what what did Jesus tell the church to do? To go and preach the gospel in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Sumeria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What did the apostles do? They stayed in Jerusalem and preached. What did the deacons do? They opened the gospel to Samaria. Philip was the guy who took the gospel to Samaria. The deacons took the gospel to Samaria. After Philip gets in Samaria and preaches the gospel, (laughs) Peter's one of the guys who went down there and said, hey, what's going on down here? (laughs) Can we come? (laughs) So Peter goes down there and he's preaching the gospel in Samaria. This has all happened right before this. But Stephen had just been martyred. Stephen had just been killed. Saul has been down there persecuting the church. Now, something's changed from the first time Peter's in in prison. What's changed is people are starting to die for their faith. So there's something different going on now. <clears throat> so Acts chapter 12, James, the brother of John, has now been killed with a sword. A son of thunder is dead. Stephen's been stoned. Peter's in prison. You know, something else I think about. Nowadays, we, we hear preachers in jail. Such and such preachers have been put in jail. What's the first thing we as Americans think? Oh, he must have stolen some money. He's fleecing the flock. They finally caught that sucker. He's flying around in his private jet, sailing in his yacht. About time that preacher got busted. Wasn't that way back then. And that's not the way it's going to be in the future. Paul said perilous times are coming. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. It's coming a time when the church is going to suffer. It's coming a time where I'm at, where I'm watching pastors suffer. I know a pastor, personally, whose church is gone now because of a war. His children are suffering. They're homeless. Not because they're poor, but because their houses were blown up. I've driven their children around trying to get groceries. So there are, there are Christians in this world suffering right now, in my world. Uh, I, there, there's, there are times coming, we've seen it with this COVID thing where pastors are suffering for trying to do what's right. For the first time in my life, I never thought it would happen. Over the last couple of years, I pastored an underground church. It was illegal for us to meet in our house. 
I had to struggle with, do we, do we continue to meet or do we go online? Where We all hated, our church hated to meet online. But, now I know this is recorded, but we met illegally because we didn't have a choice. We either, we either met uh, or we didn't. So we chose to meet, we met in person illegally. So we pastored an underground church in this day and age. So there's coming a day, and I think that was all set up by the Antichrist, preparing for the future. I don't think necessarily the men and, and uh, women and the, the powers that were in charge know what they're doing. But the principalities and powers in control of our governments, they know what they're doing. So there's coming a day when people are going to suffer for Christ. And I think we need to be prepared for that. But things were happening here. Things were changing for Peter. Acts chapter 12, we see that verse 5, Peter was put in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God for him. So the scene is set. The gospel is going into all the world. These men have seen the risen Jesus. Peter is seeing good men die for their faithfulness to Jesus. It's now the night before his execution. He's got an appointment with a sword. One of his friends has been beheaded. And it says in, in verse 6, you look at verse 6. And Herod, when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So the next morning, that's, this is the night before he's going to be executed. I've set the scene for you. It's the night before his execution. We're going to look at three points today. If you're taking notes, three points. The first one is we're going to look at the responsibility of the church. And you've seen it right there in verse 5. The responsibility of the church is to pray. The responsibility of the church is to pray. And that's, we're going to look at that right now. <clears throat> Number one, responsibility of the church is to pray. We see that they prayed without ceasing. Now, when you see this, Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Where was the church at this time? It was meeting in houses all around, all around, just randomly meeting in houses. <clears throat> so when I say the church, it wasn't some one big church up on the hill. That church was praying. It was all the church. The word was spreading around, word of mouth, and they were praying without ceasing. What does that look like? They were gathering homes, and they were praying without ceasing. Let me, let me show you some verses about what it means to pray without ceasing and, and our and our calling, our responsibility as Christians. First of all, let me ask you this. Who is the church? We are. If you're a born-again believer, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are the church. We, we are the body of Christ. And so these are talking to us. Luke 18.1. Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end. The men ought always to pray and not to faint. And when I, when I read that verse, I think about we ought not to faint. I think about Peter. Because what happened, what happened with Peter in Matthew chapter 26, I believe, when Jesus was praying? What happened with Peter? He fell asleep. It's kind of funny when you read the story. What happens to Peter in the next verse is he's asleep. But Jesus, he says, you ought not to, you ought not to faint. You ought to pray everywhere, and you ought not to faint. You ought not to sleep. You ought not to pass out. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. And again, I say unto you, Matthew 18, 19, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, 
it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So another point, another responsibility. So the responsibility is we should pray. As a church, we have a responsibility to pray. But we ought to pray believing. We ought to pray believing. If two of us agree together that God can do something, we ought to believe that he can do it, right? We need to pray believing. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul is telling the Corinthian church that, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Do we know some suffering, brethren? I think we know some suffering member right here in this church, right? Do we suffer with them? Do we pray for them? Now, take that outside. This is, this is our Jerusalem right here, right? Judea. Do we know some brothers and sisters around the city? That are suffering, we pray for them. Our fellow, our fellowship of churches, we know some members. We need to pray for those. And then our Samaria, our our uttermost. I'm part of the uttermost. I'm in I'm in Romania. I, I'm next to Ukraine. I'll be going there. I'm going to Moldova in October, where there's million, millions of refugees there. I'm going to I'm specifically going to Moldova to encourage the brethren that, that are ministering to refugees. Um, I'm going as an ambassador and as an encourager, as a Barnabas-type ministry to encourage the brethren, um, as your ambassador to those brothers. So pray for us. It's your responsibility as a church to pray for us. So pray for the brethren. Uh, suffer with us and pray with us. Ephesians six eighteen through 20. Paul said to the Ephesian church, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching unto thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, this is Paul's request, for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, at this point, was in bonds. He also was in chains. He was locked up when he was saying this, uh, this, when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. But he's saying, pray always. So we need to suffer and pray for our brothers. It's our responsibility as the church. First, Thess- First Thessalonians 5.17, I think we all know this verse. It's a real easy, real easy one to memorize. If you haven't started memorizing scripture yet, pray without ceasing. Okay, that's a good one, easy one. Hebrews 13.3, remember them that are in bonds. So not only suffer with them, but remember those that are in bonds as bound with them as in chains, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Romans 15, 30, part of our responsibility, Romans 15, 30 is to now, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul says, hey, Strive with me to pray for me. And that's what I'm asking you as a missionary. Pray with me for me. I need your prayers. My wife really needs your prayers. Uh, she's got to live with me. <laughs> but no, we're ministering together. We're a team. I don't, we're, it's, I mean, I'll go somewhere else with that before I start. We need your prayers. Colossians 4.3. Without praying with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which also I am in a bas- for which also I'm in bonds. Uh, 
You see how many times Paul says, pray that God would open. He doesn't say, pray for me to be released from prison. Don't pray for these bonds to be released. He does say that sometimes, but he continually says, pray that God would give me a door of utterance. Pray for my, my mouth to be opened. And man, I can identify with that because I'm speaking another language. That's tough. I not know, it's hard enough for me to speak English. <laughs> okay. As you can see, pray that God would open our mouths to speak the gospel boldly. Everything we do, I mean, I, I don't consider myself a humanitarian missionary, but I've had to do a lot of humanitarian stuff by necessity. But we don't do that for the sake of, just for the sake of giving people water and food or ministering to their physical needs, driving them to appointments and things like this. We do that for the sake of sharing the gospel with people. We do that for the opportunity to share Jesus with people. So we ask for your prayers to open the doors of the gospel to people. So, and I think that's exactly what Paul's saying. Use these bonds to open doors. The responsibility of the church is to pray for each other, pray for those that are suffering, both here and abroad. Second Thessalonians three one. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Lord, of, the word of the Lord, may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. Just as the word of the Lord is working among you, pray that the word of the Lord would work among us. And finally, James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It is your responsibility as a child of God, as the bride of Christ, as the church, to pray for one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer is our responsibility. And God puts a ton of, I just read it, a little smidgen of the verses related to prayer and our responsibility as Christians to pray for each other. It's a major responsibility. God puts a, a ton of emphasis on it. So let's pray for each other, right? Amen? So pray for each other. And don't forget to pray for your pastors, your deacons, your leaders, your, your Sunday school teachers. Pray for your missionaries, not just me. Everything I'm saying up here, I'm using me as an example, but you've got other missionaries. I saw the lists. <clears throat> I know some of those guys. Some of those guys are my neighbors. We pray for them. We visited them. <clears throat> but remember, we all represent you guys. We're part of this body as well as you. So pray for us. Pray for each other. We don't want your money. We do want your money. We don't just want your money, I'm trying to say. We want your prayers. We covet your prayers. Without your prayers, we're helpless. We need, we need prayers. The responsibility of the church is to pray but now let's look at the second point. I want, to, I want to look at the rescue of Peter and see what we can glean out of that. So let's look at Acts chapter 12, verse 5, and we'll go from there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Verse 6. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So, again, this is the night before his execution. He's got an appointment with death. He's got an appointment with the sword. He's sleeping. I don't know about you guys. Tomorrow you're going to die. You've got an appointment. You're going to be executed tomorrow morning. Would you be sleeping? I don't know. I don't know if I could sleep. Not only is he sleeping, he's sleeping between two soldiers. I don't know, have you ever slept in the middle aisle of a, a middle seat of an airplane? 
That's how I imagine it would be. You switch between two soldiers. I don't know. I don't know how it looked. One, he's in prison. Prisons aren't comfortable places, especially then. I've, I've visited some prisons in, in Romania, and it's not, I'm sure it's closer to what prison would be like in Peter's day than it is over here. Uh, it wasn't a pleasant place. Peter's between two soldiers. He's bound with two chains, so he's got it probably on his hands and on his feet. The keepers, there's 14 more soldiers at the door. They're guarding him really well. How well, how well do, I, I can't imagine how I would sleep. He's on a dark prison floor between two soldiers. He's bound with two chains, 14 men guarding him, 16 actually. Um, your closest friends have been killed by the sword. How is this guy sleeping? I'm thinking, what a jerk. I mean, some of these guys that are praying for him are probably thinking, if they knew he's sleeping, if the churches knew he's sleeping, what kind of missionary is Peter? We're praying for him. We're fasting. We're over here and we're, we're church. We're, we're having a special church meeting. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. We're up praying for this guy. And he's asleep. Peter's a jerk. It's the same old Peter. Just like in the garden, he's asleep. Just like Jesus rebuked him. Can't you stay awake? Why are you fainting, Peter? Couldn't you not watch one hour? Same old Peter. I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think that at all. I'm being facetious, if you didn't catch that. This is not the same Peter as the Peter before the resurrection. This is the new Peter, the one who met the resurrected Christ. I told you guys. Sorry, I get emotional. I told you I was pondering this message for more than a year. I didn't know this verse was going to be here. This is, the, this is the message. Read that verse. Thou wilt keep in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in thee. That's the verse. That's why he could sleep. I sat down there. I didn't know, I didn't know that verse was nothing. My wife goes, did you see that verse? <laughs> We're a team. I didn't know if you knew that, but. Man, God had all this worked out. I don't know why you got that verse up there. You guys probably have another reason for it. That's why God put it there. He put it for this message right here. <clears throat> I'm just selfishly saying that, but that's <clears> that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. That's why Peter can sleep when he's being executed the next day. Because he trusted in the Lord. Are you getting this? Okay. Rest in the Lord. Psalm 37. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Don't get yourself all worked up because of evil stuff going on around you. Don't worry about that. Trust in the Lord. Peter shows us how we can rest in suffering, how we can rest in persecution, or in any situation. If we keep our mind on Jesus... Trust in Jesus and wait patiently for him. He can take care of it. He can take care of it. So what we can get out of the rescue of Peter, if nothing else, get nothing else out of this message, trust in Jesus. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. 
trust in Jesus. Now, verse 7, I've got to kind of speed things up here because I'm getting short on time. We've got a lot more to go here. And behold, verse 7, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind thy sandals. And so he did. And he cast him, and he said, said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. I think it's pretty neat what the angel did here. You know, we, we tend to spiritualize angels and get all excited about angels and stuff. And what, what do angels do? What do they represent and all this? But this is the angel of the Lord. And I just think it's really interesting how the angel of the Lord here is very practical. Look what he does with Peter. He lights him up, turns on a flashlight, gives him some light. He says, well, first of all, what does he do? He smacks him in the side. Get up! (laughs) Wake up! He wakes him up. He smotes him, wakes him up, raises him up and says, get your shoes on, Get get your pants on, get your shoes on, get your shirt on. Get up. Get dressed. So he turns on the lights, wakes him up, and says, get your clothes on. That's how practical he says. And then he says, follow me. I mean, real spiritual. <laughs> There's something to this. It's interesting how he tells him to get dressed. He tells him, first of all, gird up your loins. Then he tells him to get your sandals on. I'm not reading the verse exactly there, but he says then, uh, get your shirt on. It says, gird up, gird up thyself, bind up thy sandals, bind on thy sandals, and cast thy garment about thee. That's pants, shoes, and shirt. The loins is the loins is getting the word. Shoes, feet shod with the go- preparation of the gospel of peace. Shirt is the breastplate of righteousness. Does this sound familiar? What's it sound like? Armor of God. He's telling us what we need to do as Christians. Get the armor of God on. When you get up in the morning, what do you need to do? Put on your armor. Gird your armor on. Stand firm, everyone. Get out there. Get ready to preach the gospel. And he he ends it with, follow me. So the the thing is about angels is people, you know, you see in in, in secular media and Christian media even where they tell you, oh, I met an angel and told me to do this or that or the other thing. Uh Uh-uh. No messenger from God is going to tell you anything contradictory to what the Word of God tells you. We don't need angels. I mean, we need angels, but we don't, what we have, everything we have, everything we need is found in the Word of God. We've got the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and the body of believers, the local church. Everything we need is there. But if we get another messenger, if it contradicts the Word of God, the local church, the Spirit of God, go with what the Word of God says. Go with the Spirit of God and the local church says, because it won't contradict it. The message was the same as what the Word of God says. Get out, get up, get dressed, get out and preach the Word. Same thing he did back when he was in prison the first time, right? Get up, go to the temple and preach. It's exactly what he did with with Peter here. And so in verse 9, we see that he went out, he followed him, and he wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, verse 9, but thought that he saw a vision. So Peter does all this thing, thinking he's sleepwalking, he's dreaming. He sees a vision, he thinks he's dreaming. Verse 10, and when they were past the first and second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth to the city, which opened unto them of its own accord, and they went out and passed on through the one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. So as they're going out, the gates are just opening by themselves, so 
They had the, the, the genie, the genie, the, uh, the angel had a genie, <laughs> garage door opener. <laughs> so that was kind of a joke. So they, uh, just miraculous things are happening. Again, this is the book of Acts, so it's a transitional book. We're not expecting those things to happen today, right? But if they do, that's God's business. The point is that Peter was obeying the word of God. He was following the word of God. And our example that we take from this, from the rescue of Peter, is that we need to obey the word of God. And we need to trust in Jesus. Verse 11, and Peter was come to himself. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of Jews. So we've seen the responsibility of the church is to pray. And then we've seen in the rescue of Peter that we can rest in suffering. We can rest in persecution or in any situation if we keep our mind on Jesus, trust in Jesus and wait patiently for him. Now we're going to close up with the reaction of the church. Verse 12, Acts chapter 12, verse 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now, of course, we we talked about how this was how they met in that time. They met in homes, just like we meet in our home. It's like most of the church met for the first 300 years of Christianity. They met in homes. Uh, they were meeting, meeting specifically in this home that night, specifically to pray for Peter. Now, what I want you to think about is how that particular prayer meeting must have been going that night. This is the middle of the night, remember. They're praying for Peter. Think about prayer meetings you've been in where you're praying for somebody who's sick or in prison or something like that. Poor Peter. Now, remember the context. They've just lost James. He's been put to the sword. Peter's dying the next morning. He's got an appointment with the sword. All the brethren are gathered around in this house to pray for Peter, who's going to die in a few hours. I just imagine it went like this. Oh, Lord, poor Peter. God, he's a goner. Just, you know, Peter, he's he's going to faint. He's going to betray you. He's going to turn his back and run. He's going to deny you probably three times. You know, you know how he is, Lord. Uh, just help him keep the faith, Lord. Just help him not to deny Christ. I just imagine how the guys were praying for him, you know, because they know Peter. This is, this, this is Peter. Lord, help him not to deny the Lord Jesus. Please help him not to suffer. Help him to be quick, Lord. Because, uh, you know, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Uh, you know, Psalm 116 says that. That's, I'm, I imagine the prayer meeting went something like this. And then maybe over in the... So that's how they're praying for Peter. I'm thinking that. Lord, help them to witness to somebody in prison. Somebody might get saved there in prison. But then over in the corner, there's this little teenage girl. Maybe there's this little girl, and she's saying, Lord, please deliver me. Please save Peter from that awful prison. Just, Just a little... Faithful little girl praying that Jesus would take Peter out of that prison. Verse 13, we meet her. Peter knocked on the door of the gate. A damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. For me, that's special because Rhoda, today's day and age, nobody's named Rhoda. Rhoda means a rose. The city I live in is called Rishnov. 
mountains arose. Little kiss from God. Verse 14, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. So here's this little girl with a big faith. She had no doubt it was Peter. Because it says there she knew Peter's voice. And she'd prayed. She had the faith of a child. She just believed. She prayed believing. What do we what do we read earlier? If if we pray believing, God's going to answer it. This little girl had faith. She prayed, believing. She heard Peter's voice. Hey, Peter's at the gate. And what do people say? Verse 15. And they said to her, Thou art mad. You're crazy, girl. Peter's not there. Where does that come from? We're we're looking at our third point is the reaction of the church. Let's be Rhoda. Let's pray believing. Where does this come from? One thing, it's wrong and it's dangerously close to offending a child. Jesus said it's better to have a millstone hanged about your neck than to offend a child. She had faith and she believed. Two, this reaction of calling her crazy comes from a lack of faith. Those believers there are dangerously lacking faith. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, without doubting. They were praying wrong, possibly. I'm speculating. I'll, I'll admit that. I'm speculating here. Some, somebody, whoever called her crazy, we'll put it that way, was lacking faith. We're supposed to pray without wrath, without doubting. They're praying that God would be merciful to to him to die a good death instead of praying that God would deliver him. Somebody in that room was violating principles of biblical maturity. Let me talk to you about that for just a moment. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Let no man despise thy youth. We don't know much about Rhoda here, but we know she was a damsel, a young, a young woman young girl somebody violated that principle somebody despised her called her mad called her crazy if you're if you think you're wise if you think you're a wise christian if you think you're a mature christian today don't violate the principles of scripture scripture about being wise and mature look what titus 2 7 says in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine showing uncorruptness gravity Sincerity. Gravity means maturity. Gravity means sober-mindedness. You don't call people crazy who are just showing you their faith and their zeal. Don't attack people who are zealous for the Lord. You're wise. You know you're better than another Christian. If you know you're more mature than another Christian, then you better be careful with your wisdom, lest you be found a fool. James 3.13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. If you're wise, truly wise, you'll be meek and full of wisdom. James 
But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But this wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The wisdom from the, that is from above is pure and peaceable and gentle. Were they being gentle with Rhoda? No, they were harsh. Are you crazy? That's not Peter. You're crazy. Now, maybe they weren't being, we don't know. We only know it was recorded. They called her mad. It may have just been somebody going, you're crazy. That's not him. But God recorded it like this. Thou art mad. Now, I'm someone who's been called crazy before. I won't t- you want to hear those stories? Come talk to me afterwards. Missionaries can tell you stories about stuff like this. I've been called crazy for wanting to go to Romania. The first time I went, I had, uh, I'll tell you the stories later. I have, I've been in the place of Rhoda before. I've had mature pastors cuss me out for telling them what I saw with my eyes. I wasn't making a judgment. I just said, Here, here's what I saw with my eyes. And I have had pastors chew me out. I've been in that position. So I, I can feel that position. I was a younger man then. So I can, I can identify with this position. So if you're, if you're an aged man, if you're, if you're a pastor, if you're a, a, a mature person, uh, an aged woman, a deacon, consider yourself older in the faith. Consider yourself. And that's me now. I consider myself an aged man. <laughs> the Bible says in Titus 2.2, 2, the aged men should be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. We have to consider ourselves lest we also be tempted. We need to treat zealous Christians with Love and grace and respect. And they said unto her in verse 15, Thou art mad. How could Peter possibly be here? If they had prayed believing, they wouldn't have called her crazy. They would have believed it. They would have believed that it was possible that he could be there. Verse, Verse 15, But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. So first of all, they didn't believe it. They called her crazy because it couldn't be possible because God never answers our prayers. <laughs> but then the next thing they did is they made it all spiritual. Oh, it's his angel. He's died already. They've already killed him. And now his ghost is here. His spirit is here. And uh, he just wants to say that he's okay and he's in heaven and everything's all cool. They, they're all spiritualizing everything. So they're sure it wasn't him. He must be dead. He just, they just spiritualized the situation. But Peter continues knocking in verse 16. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. Let's not be like this group of believers at this point. Let's not be like this church. Let's be like Rhoda. Let's have faith when we pray. So our responsibility is to pray. From what we saw from Peter's rescue, let's trust in Jesus. Let's have faith. Let's have in our suffering. Let's learn that we can rest. And then let's be like Rhoda. Let's believe when we pray that God can answer. 
pray having faith as a child. And then as mature Christians, let's be gentle unto all men. Let's be wise. Let's not get bitter. And then verse 17. We'll wrap it up with this. Uh, verse 16, I'll finish with this. Uh, let me say this as well. But Peter continued knocking when they had opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Again, they were astonished that God answered their prayer. That should be our position. Not Our position should not be that we're astonished that God answers our prayer. It should be that God doesn't answer our prayer. This is when we should be astonished, right? So verse 17, But when he beckoned unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So let's not, let's not get over-spiritual about things here. He just says, the whole point of the story, if you look at verse 17, seems to be he just needs to show up to the church and tell them, Hey, I'm fine. And then he left. I think there's a lot more to the story. And it's the three points I shared with you. Our responsibility to pray, our responsibility to rest during times of trial, and our responsibility to pray believing and to be gentle unto all men. So let's pray. Bow your heads with me if you would. Now I'm going to give you a chance to, as I pray, if you've, got, if you've been affected by this message, if, you've, if you're a Christian here today, and you need, you need to learn to pray. You need to start praying again, believing. I'd like you just to come up here on the altar and, and put that up here on the altar for Jesus. If you need to learn how to just rest in Jesus in times of suffering, if you're suffering, you need to learn to rest in Jesus, come up here and somebody can pray with you. This would be the time to do that. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd invite you to come up here to the altar as well while I pray. And somebody can talk to you about how to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're much like that Peter when he was in prison. He was in a dark place, held by, held by, held captive against his will. Uh, he needed to be delivered. And maybe you're that person today. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're being held captive against your will. You need to be delivered. And we can show you how you can have the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'd invite you to come forward while we pray. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today, Lord. I thank you so much that the Holy Spirit of God has been here today. I thank you that you've given us the light of your word. I thank you that the Holy Spirit of God has taught us to pray, to pray believing. I thank you that we can rest knowing that you're with us and you'll never leave us or forsake us. I thank you that in spite of the suffering in this world, that you've always, you'll always be with us. I thank you so much that we can pray believing. We can pray believing that you, you are a rewarder of all that seek you, Lord. I thank you so much for what Jesus did for us on the cross. I thank you that he died and rose again 